So it's the fifth Sunday that we're looking at Peter and his two letters. And so we've got four more Sundays after today to think about what's going on. And there's plenty still left to learn, as you can imagine. Hopefully some of you have been reading through the different books and the chapters and pondering and thinking about it. Every day, there's, on our Facebook page, there's a sort of slide that goes on just helping us to think about what the verses can be and just something to think about if we want to. A few weeks ago, we were thinking about Peter the person and we were sort of having a bit of a chat about him. And, and this week, I've been thinking to myself, what type of job would Peter be good at in 2017? Now, these are the jobs he was good at in 2,000 years ago in the blue. So, go on, real sum up. What would he be good at nowadays? <laughs> would he? Of what sort of company? Fishing. <laughs> Fishing, okay. Anyone else want to tell us? Communicator. A communicator. What sort of communication would he be good at? Would he be into this digital stuff, do you think? Definitely. He's, he was in it, weren't he? Yeah. Jerry? A life coach. Yeah, do you think he'd wear a tracksuit with I am the boss on the back or something like that? Do you think he'd be like that? Any other jobs that he might be good at? Work foreman. Work foreman. Can you imagine him on a particular work site, a building site or something, do you think? Mm. Getting people, go on, do that and do this and yeah, that's good. Anyone else? Evangelist. Evangelist, yeah. So mostly what the things are there He'd still be the same today. He's the same man, wouldn't he be, if we meet people like that? Of course, we were thinking where 1, and P, one Peter and 2 Peter were in the New Testament. And uh, that's all stuff we've done in the past, and we can read it up if we want to. But Bethany now is going to read the chapter for us. So if you want to turn to it yourself, if you've got it handy, it's going to be 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, everybody there. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they, they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is uh, serving by the strength which God provides, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
to, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to, be- to begin with the household of God, and it begins first with us. What, so, and, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is dif- with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Thank you, Bethany. Does that look right? Why not? Yeah. What Bethany's just been reading just really talks about Jesus, doesn't it? Because metaphorically, Jesus has turned the world upside down. I love maps. I've got dozens and dozens of them at home. But maybe you haven't seen a map like this before. Does this map look right? So, I've had it years and years. It's called the down under map of the world. So everything is the wrong way round, but all the writing is the right way round. And also, as many of us are Europeans, often... Often, in most projections that we see of maps, Europe's in the middle. But Europe's somewhere else. Europe's on the outskirts. In this map, because it's an Australian map, Australia matters. Australia's at the top. Australia's right in the centre. But to most of us, a map like that looks really strange. Jesus has turned the world upside down. What might look abnormal and weird and strange to us, is the right way round for lots of Australians who want to be our leaders of the world and sort of set the pace for the world. How much similar is that with Jesus? How many things do we get used to in our own lives And yet, something like that just shows us that if it's turned upside down and done differently, maybe that's what Jesus is calling us to be like. Not to be normal, but to be different. And that's what we're thinking about. In my NIV, the uh, chapter that Bethany read has two headings. It says, living for God and suffering for being a Christian. And so I've got a question. 
And there's four points, so you know where we're going with it. The first point, though, has got three sub-points, but that's the only one, so it's not like going to be 20 points that I'm going to say or anything like that. But just so you know, there's going to be four points, and the first one's got three. So we know where we're going. All right. Here's the question. Are you ready? Ready for what? Are we ready for action now? Are we ready for action now? So there's going to be three subheadings for this, just to get us thinking about that. Last week, if you were here, I was mentioning a little bit about magnets. And I put a prayer up. I said, Lord, as a church and as individuals, help us to be magnetic, attracting others to you. It might be that we sort of pray, Lord, let people come to the church. Lord, let them be attracted to what's going on here so that people get saved and come to know you. Be magnetic in that kind of way. But I've been sort of working out a little bit and researching a little bit more about magnets this week, especially on some school websites. In school websites, they tell you a lot to help you learn things, don't they? Sort of, they've got it at the right level so we can learn it easily. So I've been learning about magnets this week. And I've brought two very powerful bar magnets. Here they are. Two very powerful bar magnets. Now, when you do an experiment, because I think we should do an experiment, is it often good to have someone with you that would be helpful, that knows what they're doing? Do you think a teacher would be really good to help you as an ex... Right on the front row, look, Hagen's here! Oh, great. Oh, I think another person, Heejin, would you like to come and help us as well? Come to the front. Come on, come on down. It's going to be lots of fun. You need to act a little bit. Right. Now, can you tell me what magnets do? Do they repel or do they attract? Thank you very much. It was a silly question. Now, I think from what I've researched and general knowledge from when I was about 10, like poles repel, opposite poles attract. Let's just see if that's true, shall we? So what have we got? We've got, uh, right, okay, so can you turn yours over then? Right, so I'd like you to come as close together as you can. I said, I think it can come a little bit closer. I said, how close can you get before it's like, oh, this is brilliant, oh, brilliant. Okay, so we know that the North Poles definitely, oh, I better not stand there, that's dangerous. The North Poles they really do repel each other. Can you go for the South Poles as well, see how it happens? <laughs> Fantastic. Right, brilliant. Okay, so South Poles, everything's working well. You can see I've made them pretty well, haven't I? Because they're working nicely. Now, what happens if we turn uh, the North round a little bit? Don't just do it yet. I think you need to stand. I'll, I'll come in the middle. Because what I was doing with God this week is having a good old chat. Thinking, Lord, I want to be like you. I want you to be the Lord. I want to be godly and you're godly. And yet, this isn't kind of working. I can hear God just saying I should make two bar magnets. But it's not working because if I'm godly and you're godly, that means we're repelling if we're the same as each other, that repels. So I'm, I've really scratched my head this week and thinking, Lord, what are you saying? I'm going to tell you what he said just in a minute. But let's see if we can work it out. So, 
Now, we know they're going to repel each other. So, hey, Gene, if you want to just turn yours round. Brilliant. Now, what's going to happen if they get close together? <laughs> yeah, that is it. Now, that's what, it just made me think, well, why is the South Pole and the North Pole being attracted? I want to be attracted to God and I want to be godly. And yet it dawned on me, look for the hidden word. Sin. The problem with me is sin. When I want to be Lord, sorry, when I want God to be Lord, it's impossible because now we've got two Norths coming together. So I'm saying to God, Lord, be Lord of my life. But God says, I don't think you really mean it all the time. I heard God say to me, yeah, most of the time you want me to be Lord. But how can two North Poles attract each other? And how can me be Lord and God be Lord of my life? That's repelling. If I want to be ruler of my own life, I can't come to God and say, be Lord of my life, and still want to be Lord of my life. It's impossible. But as I turn around and acknowledge before God what's in my life and say, Lord, I desperately want you to be more Lord of my life. I've got this in my life that isn't right, that I need to deal with. So God says, come over here, let me give you a hug. And that's what God does. As we come and say, Lord, I want to be Lord, a little bit, even 1%, that's not going to help us. But as we say to God, I'm looking at my life, I'm looking at what's going on, and I can see God, that there's sin in my life that I don't want there to be. It's time to take action on sin in our lives. It's the most important thing. Are we repelled by sin in our lives? It's easy to be annoyed by the sin in other people's lives. But when we look at our own lives, does it repel us? Does it make us think, oh. does it make us think, oh, that's repulsive, that's horrible. Lord, I give it to you. Help me, change me, make me a new creation. In the Amplified of verse 4 of what Bethany was reading, it says about running hand in hand with them, like the people that are committing all these sins. And maybe sometimes that might be what we do. How we just everything is great and we're running hand in hand with bad things, things that aren't very helpful to us. And in the New Living Translation, it talks about verse 4 being, do, no, do not no, look, no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things. In verse 2 of what Bethany read, she read desires. 
And to me that makes me think, because it's a plural word, of being pulled in lots of directions about, from, about sin. It might be one thing that's pulling us one way, then another, and then something else. But at the same time, God's pulling us and saying, listen to me. And so we're encouraged to think about being people that follow God. Remember King David? In Acts 13, chapter 22, it says, he was a man after God's own heart. And yet we know if we read 2 Samuel 11 or 12 and then Psalm 51, we know about Bathsheba and Uriah, how his heart was a man after God's own heart, and yet his heart was pulled in many directions. Something else I found out this week about magnets as well is you can't test them by seeing what's attracted by them. Because it might be something else magnetic. You can only test a magnet by what it repels. Oh, God gives us, he sort of talks to me a lot when I'm at the front. And you're sort of saying, so in your life, what sin is being repelled? What is in your life that maybe you've done for 10 years, 20 years or more? Am I now saying to you, that's not clever, that's not good, that's not the right thing to do, that's sin. And for me, God sort of says things in my life, and I sort of think, yeah, I've got to repel the things that are wrong. So sin in our lives. If you've read our newsletter recently, you'd have seen this picture on one of the pages and it says the caption says what is beyond the open gate and for myself definitely for you I'm sure as well in our lives we have open gates sometimes don't we where God's calling us to do things and the blunt question I want to ask you is in for you what gifts have you got what are you doing for God are you going beyond the open gate or are you just staying where you are, just letting people help and serve and look after you, are you going outside of the gate or are you wanting to follow God, serving God with the strength that God supplies, it says in one version. I like to read what's not just in the Bible, but what people from hundreds of years ago or a hundred years ago have written about God as well. And Hudson Taylor said this, he was one of the big missionaries You can work without praying, but it is a bad plan. But you cannot pray in earnest without working. Do not be so busy with work for Christ that you have no strength left for praying. True prayer requires strength. And again, God says these things to me during the week to talk to you about, but I point my finger definitely back at me, thinking, Lord, I need to be not just praying for... 10 minutes a day or however long it might be, I've got to give some priority to it. I've got to give some strength to it, some thought. You might know this hymn. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees and need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. So just summing up this first point then, God's calling us to think about sin in our own lives. 
And then once we've thought about that, then he's saying, look at all the gifts, the beautiful things you've got in your lives that you can share with others rather than just keeping to yourself. And then perhaps God is saying, what about the prayer aspect of your life? How's that going on? How can you encourage other people to pray as they're encouraging you to pray as well? There's more notes on the, uh, our website. I'm missing lots of things out because I just get all excited during the week and think, oh, I'll say that and I'll say that. But there's rarely time. So if you want to read some more things about it, have a look on our website as well. That'll be fine. So are you ready for action now? You don't have to answer that. That's rhetorical. How about this next one? Another rhetorical question. You don't need to answer it out loud, but in your head, I definitely want you to answer it. Are you ready for Jesus coming back? Do you remember a few years ago, and still you might see it, if you're in a big city, there might be a chap or a lady with a big placard saying, the end is nigh. Yeah. And in the 80s, for about a year, I went to a church where, like all churches, they had notices. You'll never guess what the first notice was. Every service. The Lord is coming soon. That was the first notice. Every service. I don't know if you've been in a a church like that, where they have a big thing about Jesus coming again. Maybe in the 80s, and maybe years before that as well, it was a big thing. But it doesn't seem to be such a in-your-face kind of thing now. But Jesus is coming soon. We all have priorities in our lives, don't we? I know sometimes if I've got some school reports to write or a song to write or just something to do or a talk to write like this morning and I've done a bit of it but suddenly it's two days away or a week away and I think I've really got to get my skates on now and really get on with it. Suddenly that becomes the top priority. Jesus is coming back soon. How's that going to change the priorities in your life today? This week. Jesus is coming back soon. There's a deadline. There's a priority. Jesus is coming back soon. The good thing is, because Jesus is coming back soon, and because we know we're sort of asking God to do things in our lives, we don't need to keep up with the Joneses anymore, do we? We don't have to sort of think, oh, I need a big car or lovely holidays or the latest gadgets or whatever it might be. Because Jesus is coming back soon. In verses 1 and 2 of the message from chapter 4, it says, you can be free to pursue God and not tyrannised by your own desires. I thought, oh, again, I'm pointing back at me thinking, yeah, where's my priority? Am I tyrannised by what I often think about instead of being free and, hey, everything's great to pursue God? Because I'm putting him first in my life. Are you ready for the expected and the unexpected? Jesus is coming back soon, that's expected. What other things can be expected? Jesus' arms are wide open for you. We know that's true. That's expected, isn't it? And it's really obvious to us. We just know Jesus' arms are wide open to us. Now, you know where this is, don't you? Rio, right. Do you know 
about 1920, just before it was built, the Christians there thought that their city was godless. And so what they wanted to do was to erect something so people would see God. They'd remember his love and they'd remember the demands on their lives. So this is why they built it. They wanted to be making people see God and not just be godless, ignoring God. So they built this great big uh, statue and it's uh, 30 metres tall with his arms 28 metres wide and it's on top of a 700 metre tall mountain. You can't miss it, can you? What reminders of God's love are we creating in the Neaton? It may not be a big statue, but in our personal lives, how can God's love be seen and his demands? What are we saying? What difference does this church make? What difference do we make individually? We can expect persecution. It was again read in chapter 4. Peter knew about persecution. He'd been threatened, he'd been tried to be killed, he was beaten, he was put in prison. And maybe for us today, not just in other nations around the world, but in this country, we can expect persecution in various ways. We can expect to take our cross up daily to be faithful to what God calls us to do. But you might be thinking, to expect the unexpected, surely that's a contradiction. You can't (laughs) expect the unexpected because then it's not the unexpected anymore, is it? But again, in my life this week, I've been thinking about it and saying, Lord, I want to be ready for when you say something, when you do something. So I might not be expecting it. It might just come a curveball. Is that what people sort of say nowadays? It might come out of the blue. But didn't that happen a lot in the Bible? God did things. I've got a quick list. I'm not going to go through it, but can you remember like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Daniel 3? They went into the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar? They're out. They're all right. There's four people there. They're still alive. That was unexpected. All these other things, Jonah and Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is about Abraham and Isaac and then there's Ram came. Totally unexpected. So have a look at those if you want to. But God is here and God says you can expect the unexpected. Are we ready for change? All these things that we're talking about and thinking about, are we ready for change in our lives? In verse 19 of 1 Peter 4, in the good news it says, trust yourself completely to your creator who always keeps his promises. So change is here, in our lives, in the church's life, but we can trust ourselves completely to our creator who always keeps his promises. So, are you ready? Are you ready for those things? Are you ready for sorting out action and sorting out the sin in your lives? There aren't easy things, are they? So we might be ready, but then we've got to do something about it. Are we ready? I'm just going to read a few verses from 1 Samuel, verse 3. Maybe you've heard this before. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. 
In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. I tried to say it in a really voice that he would say to him. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you, I'm trying to go to sleep. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realised. Eli wasn't a great bloke, was he? But God was speaking to him as well. Because Eli realised that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Oh, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there. Oh, I'm so glad the Lord calls again, don't you? If he just called once, what would it be like? We wouldn't be here, would we? We wouldn't be interested in God. But God calls us and, and calls us again. But the Lord came and stood there calling as to the, at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. And that's what I want us to think about today. Are you ready? Are you ready for your life to be changed? As we say to God, I can see, Lord, in my life, I want to be Lord. But Lord, I know as I'm attracted to you, so the stuff in my life, that is going to be dealt with, changed. And we can say, thank you God, that you're not just saying easy things to us, but you say things that matter. So we're going to sing a song in a moment, I'm going to pray as well. It's maybe a song that you're not so familiar with, but that's okay, I just want you to listen to it for the first time. But Jesus is calling us today, not just to stay as we are, to do things for him and with him, because we're his children and we're on the earth to do what his bidding and calling is. So let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. So today, as I've been going through these things in my mind a lot this week, about what's in my life and the things that need to change and the challenges you've brought me. So Lord, all my friends here, we come to you and say, Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to do what you are saying to us individually. Help us to hear you speak and say, Lord, be the Lord of my life. Deal with the things that are negative and wrong and help me to follow you with all my heart. Amen.